Okay, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you, God, that we can call upon your name. God, thank you that you're worthy to be praised. And tonight we want to praise you from our hearts. We are here to worship you and to learn of you, to know your ways. Lord, to know how we can better function and live as a church and to do so for your glory. So enlighten our hearts tonight by your Spirit that we might indeed understand and live out the things that we learn. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are doing Living as a Church. Um, As we continue in the series, we've come to church leadership. And we've already looked at church governance. But what I want to do in just a few moments is I'm going to do just a little bit of review, just because the nature of what we're doing tonight, but this is our eighth session, so we're making quite a bit of progress, but we're recording these so you can go back and you can can view them. We'll send you a link if you're not on WhatsApp. If you are a regular attender, you can get on WhatsApp and we can connect you so you're getting all this information that's sent out. So all that we ask that you bring is a Bible, a notebook, and pen. And, I mean, you don't have to do this, but if you want to take notes, you need a notebook and a pen. We've got handouts. They're handout. They've already been handed out. Okay. And bring a little bit of enthusiasm because we're here. We're excited about learning God's Word, and we should have hearts uh, that all of us should have hearts that are enthusiastic about learning the truth of God's Word. We've looked at church governance in Lesson 5, and we saw that there's two church ordinances, only two. Get this thing to work properly. It's like it's got a delay tonight. I'm not sure why, but elders and the three terms, elders, pastors, or the word shepherd, and the word bishop, which means overseer, All three terms are used interchangeably in the New Testament to refer to the same office. A bishop is not a different office than an elder, and a pastor is not a different office than an elder. It's all the same. The other office is deacon. And the word, the Greek word, means to run errands, excuse me, a waiter or a servant. And what we've seen from the New Testament is these offices are, I have no idea. Let me switch here and see if it makes a difference. Hold on just a second. I'm sorry. Okay, maybe that's going to work. The New Testament contrary to what a lot of the church is teaching today it is male leadership Uh, it doesn't mean that women cannot be used in the church cannot have amazing ministries but these two offices biblically are for men that's not our decision that's that is what god has revealed in his word and the other thing that is huge is these offices require 
godly leadership. You have to meet qualifications in order to be in either one of these offices. And the qualifications are basically the same, except an elder has to be apt to teach. Um, As far as our leadership, what we saw in that study is that we are to obey our elders and submit to their leadership. This is just a very brief overview. Um, We're to make elders' work a joy rather than a burden, and that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. And consider the qualification of prospective elders, and that's the job of the whole church. So deacons, again, to run errands, they care for the church members, They free elders for prayer and the ministry of the word. And they distribute work throughout the congregation. And so they're responsible for uh, distributing or allocating work to others, to those that want to serve in the church. Now tonight we're looking at leadership from a different perspective, not governance, how the church is governed, but leadership and It's very important because it connects to the congregation. The purpose of the class is to consider how we can relate to our leaders in ways which promote unity and bring glory to God. Hebrews 13, and this is sort of the key passage for tonight. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, the writer of Hebrews starts out with strong words. Obey, submit. Especially strong as you think about today's world. But those are not, uh, those words are not simply there for the maintaining of order. We read that submission to the church, as the writer of Hebrews tells us here, is to our advantage. It's through submission that we model the godly humility that should characterize every believer. It's through submission that we maintain unity in the midst of disagreement. Because in a church, there's going to be disagreement. We are different people, different, with different backgrounds, different experiences, and we think about things differently. That's to be expected. Um, when we maintain unity by submission to the elders, we're demonstrating that we believe God's command even when it's difficult to obey. I mean, anybody can obey a commandment or an order or however you want to define it. Anybody can do that when they agree with it. But when you disagree with it, that's really where the rubber meets the road. Ultimately, our trust or confidence in those who are over us is much more than just trust or confidence in man. Even our best leaders will sometimes fail us, at least from our perspective. But we've got to remember we're, 
when we talk about elders, they have to meet, or, or, and deacons as well, they have to meet a particular set of qualifications. But that doesn't mean that they're perfect. It means they're defined by those qualifications. Now, when we talk about submission to elders, we're not talking about you being what we call a yes man. That's not the idea here. In the New Testament, it's actually the members of the congregation and not the leaders alone who are responsible for some aspects of church government. And so even in an elder-led church like Cornerstone, the, the congregation, the members have involvement. Trusting the leadership doesn't mean that we take the opinions of our elders as truth without any question. So, as one writer puts it, Christian freedom is eroded as lay people become more and more enamored with the decrees of elders and the command, commandments of men. So we're not talking about being you being a yes man or a yes woman. That's not the idea here. So actually, the congregation is to be the final authority on important matters such as, and there's two particular things that we see the congregation taking the authority on. That's church discipline and its doctrine as well. So let's begin now with this thought. What can we do to encourage our church leaders making their work as a joy as we read in Hebrews 13? That's where we'll begin. Later, we'll devote the rest of the class to examining how we should respond when we disagree with the leadership of our church. So let's jump right into it. Okay. The second thing then, after introduction, make their work a joy, not a burden. One of the best ways or best things that we can do to promote unity in our church is to help our leaders see their work as a God-given delight. And that's what the congregation, that's what every member should seek to do. Now, when you think about trying to accomplish this, it's complicated by the fact that both the shepherds and each member of the local body are sinning saints, right? We're all sinning saints. We've been declared right before God, but we still struggle with the sin nature. And that's why we need progressive sanctification throughout our Christian life. So we're talking about imperfect people. Whether you're talking about the members of the church, whether you're talking about the elders, we're all imperfect. I would say, watch out for a person that tries to present themselves as a per perfect person because there are no perfect people. And I, when I think about, we were talking the other night I don't remember if it was last week or the week before, but the perfect church. And I keep thinking about that church in Atlanta, you know, going right through Atlanta on, what's the highway? 20. And it's a big sign advertising the perfect church. So I think, that's a lying church. <laughs> so, again, Hebrews 13. Let's read it again. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive 
And we could say here, why? For they watch out for your souls. As those who must give an account. They're responsible for how they lead. For what they teach. Let them do so. Let them watch for your souls. And do it with joy and not with grief. For that would be very unprofitable for you. So we cannot underestimate the connection between a believer's attitude and the leader's ability. It affects even the leader when we in the congregation are not submissive to our leaders, do not respect our leaders. Many unhappy church situations would be resolved if each person in the congregation saw their leaders as partners in the church's great calling to reflect the glory of Christ rather than as adversaries to overcome. They're not your adversaries. They are there with a huge responsibility. Leaders, again, are human beings. Sometimes, and we're not just talking about imperfection, but sometimes I know we as elders, we struggle with indecision. Sometimes we find decisions that have to be made exceed our wisdom and experience sometimes. We can even struggle with insecurities. Leaders can be hurt and discouraged in their work by an insensitive congregation, church members. It's very easy to assume that our leaders are perfect. I've actually done that, or at least expected them to be perfect, not to really believe that they were perfect. Sometimes when people see any signs of imperfection, they feel empowered to deride their leaders. They take it as an opportunity to pounce them. Remember, you're the object of your elders' watch care. They are keeping watch over your souls. And God values the souls of those that belong to him especially. That's why he appoints elders to oversee. The word, Remember bishop means oversee. It's to oversee, to protect, to warn, to guard, to teach, to care for, to counsel. And the list goes on and on, doesn't it? So how do, how can the congregation, how can believers help their elders do their jobs? Here's, well, we're going to offer a few basic ideas, but these ideas originate from a book by Wayne Mack and David Swavely called Life in the Father's House, a Member's Guide to the Local Church. So we're going to jump in to these, yep, to these six things 
that you can do to make your leader's work a joy and not a burden, okay? I don't know what happened there. Let's try this again. I've got a problem with my notes here. Okay. The first thing is this. Believe in Jesus Christ and walk in obedience. Okay? 3 John, verse 4. I have no greater joy, John writes, than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So when you're walking in the truth, I'm sorry for the distraction there. When you're walking in the truth... It brings joy to the hearts of your elders or pastors. There's joy in seeing God's hand working in members to conform them to the image of Christ. There's joy in seeing God's people use their gifts, their spiritual gifts for the edification of the body. There's joy in seeing members share the love of Christ with one another, sacrifice for one another. There's joy in seeing saints Persevere in the faith through difficulty or through persecution. Of course, your church leaders will be encouraged by your delight in ministry and your growth in Christ. But that can't happen if you keep it to yourself, right? Elders need to know what Christ is doing in your life. When they ask you how you're doing, tell them the truth. Let them know. If you're struggling, let them know. If you're being blessed, if God's working through a particular passage of Scripture, whatever the situation, whether it's positive or negative, or if it's just one of those humdrum times, let them know how you're doing. There's many things in our life that needs prayer and counseling. And that's what the elders are there for. I do not know what keeps happening here. There was the verse. I must have copied a bunch of slides and put part of them in twice. So the second thing, let's, let's keep going here. Cultivate and preserve unity in the body. Philippians 2.2 2, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. Another verse, James 3.18. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. We're to be peacemakers. Pastors not only have the responsibility to be peacemakers... But they need church members to be peacemakers as well. Think of these peacemakers, at least sometimes, as shock absorbers. Because really, that's in part what a peacemaker does. He or she is a shock absorber. And in a sense, that's what this whole course has been about, living as a church. So some of the things that we're going to look at are sort of like review now. So how can we function as shock absorbers, peacemakers? 
Well, act in love one towards another. First Peter chapter 4, verse 8. Remember what Paul wrote? Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Then next, remember that opinions are temporary, but people are eternal. Be careful in the midst of disagreement that you do not tempt a brother or sister to sin in anger or resentment. And then third, encourage others to trust their leaders. Yes, our leaders aren't perfect, but we should still be biased towards trust. We should seek to trust them. And we'll get into some details later. When someone comes to us with a concern about the decision of the church leaders, make sure that you don't give them an ear if they have not already gone, especially when they've not already gone and spoken to the leadership first. That's very important. And if they have, and we happen to know the reason behind that decision, maybe we can be that shock absorber. We can explain it to them and confirm what the elders have already told them. If they have not gone to the elders, again, we should suggest they go to the elders and speak to them before speaking to anybody else and causing dissension. Very important. The third thing is pray for church leaders. First or second Corinthians 1 10 through 11. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. This passage reminds us of two reasons that we should pray regularly for church leaders. First, they've been given a difficult task to shepherd a congregation of sinning saints while dealing with our own issues because we're not perfect. That's a lot of reason to pray for your elders. And second, we should pray for church leaders so that they may rejoice and thank God when our prayers are answered. You see, a lot of times, I know this in my life, I know this is biblical. When I'm praying for someone, it's hard to be disgruntled towards them. It's hard to be unforgiving towards them, right? So if you're praying for your elders, you're going to have a complete different attitude towards them. Even if they fail you at some point, even if they make a decision that you don't think maybe is the best thing, you will approach it different. You will think about it different because God changes us through prayer. Express your love for church leaders. 2 Corinthians 7, 5, 6, and 7. For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. But we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, 
Inside were fears. Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he was comforted in you when he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. What an amazing turnabout Paul describes here. From our bodies had no rest to I rejoice even more. You see, because they had expressed love, in this case for the Apostle Paul. Consider the fact that your encouragement might be God's comfort to a leader that's struggling with discouragement. Remember, we're human beings. And think about this. If you're not the type who often makes encouraging comments, your words might mean even more to that elder. I mean, a lot of this applies to one another as well. But we're looking specifically at church leaders, elders, and it even applicable in many cases to deacons. The fifth thing, seek their counsel and accept their reproof. To do this successfully, leaders must know the lives of the congregation. Part of their job as shepherds is to identify and address problems in our lives before they become damaging. Two comments on this point. First, remember that either counsel or reproof, to be specific or well, uh, well-conceived, our leaders must know what's going on in our lives. Second, it's a good habit to make sure that at least one church leader is aware of what you're struggling with. What big decisions you're facing that's on the horizon or what's discouraging you. So talk regularly with your church leaders. And of course, treat godly rebuke as precious and worthy of careful consideration. If someone rebukes you, if an elder in particular here rebukes you or confronts you, remember how hard that is for them to do that. It's not something that any godly elder would ever take lightly. They would approach it with prayer and concern for you. <laughs> hey, no, you're not me sorry. That's great. Thank you, brother, because we do struggle with that, don't we? Exactly. 
Yeah, and I sometimes, and I was actually thinking about this early this morning, but, you know, I know there's an, I mean, certainly spiritual maturity is involved, but emotional and mental maturity is also involved. And I really think that when we mature spiritually, it works itself out in our mental and emotional maturity as well. It might be a little bit of a lag there, but they are all connected. Proverbs says, do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. We should all be willing to to take rebuke. Even if it's wrong, most people don't rebuke you if they're not trying, they honestly believe what they're saying. But consider it and pray about it and see if there's truth in it. Search the scriptures. The sixth thing about making the work of elders a joy, not a burden, is believe the best about their character and decisions. And that's really agape love. To assume the best, to look for the best. First Thessalonians five, twelve, and thirteen, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work, be at peace among yourselves. So believe the best concerning their character and their decisions. I'm going to share a quote from Life in the Father's House. Again, a member's guide to the local church. Quote, Though we are always prone to give ourselves the benefit of the doubt, our sinful flesh has a strong tendency to be suspicious, skeptical, skeptical, and even cynical towards others. This is especially true of church leaders. Many members make a regular habit of enjoying roast preacher at their Sunday meal. And labels like power trip are often carelessly tossed around when difficult decisions are made by leadership. But biblical love, according to 1 Corinthians 13, 7 believes all things, hopes all things. A loving member will assume the best about his leaders and trust them until some clear words or actions cause him legitimate concern about their wisdom and motives. So we must discipline ourselves to trust our church leaders and not presume their motives. We should trust our church leaders unless we have clear reasons to the contrary. I mean, clear reasons. So often, we don't get upset by what's done, but by why it's done. Which, of course, is totally presumptive unless the person has told us why they're doing something. So often decisions are made about which we have incomplete knowledge. It's dangerous to place much confidence in our opinion of what should have been done 
without any conversation with church leaders. It's actually dangerous to presume sinful motives. Only God knows the hearts, the heart of a man. We should never presume that we understand his motives. Very, very important. And some things, some decisions that have to be made in the church, just adding in here, some decisions, the elders are not at liberty to share everything. They would be breaking confidence to share everything. So sometimes they have information that cannot be shared. Okay? We must... Well, so next, I'm sorry, uh, along with believe the best about their character and decisions, constructive criticism should be carried out in a godly way. So constructive criticism is not wrong. Proverbs 25.11 says, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Again, remember your leaders are human beings. They're imperfect, just like you are and everyone else is. The church must remember to be humble, loving, and kind when we approach a leader with appropriate constructive criticism. And we need to be willing to receive that. We should be cautious that we aren't being overly critical or coming forward with criticism too frequently. But we should also remember there are occasions which do call for godly criticism. And we should not neglect our responsibility in this area. We are to walk together in brotherly love, exercising affectionate care and watchfulness over each other and faithfully admonishing one another as the occasion may arise. Sometimes that can even involve admonishing an elder. It does. It applies to church elders just like it does to anyone else. So we should work hard to cultivate a culture where loving, thoughtful criticism is carefully given and appropriately received. See, there's responsibility on both sides, isn't there? Again, Proverbs 25.11, a word aptly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. So six ways we can obey the scriptural command to respect those who serve us as elders and to make their work a joy, walk in obedience to Christ. Cultivate and preserve unity in the body. Pray for church leaders. Express your love for them. Seek their counsel and accept their reproof. And trust their character and decisions. So the next part. We could say the hard part. What do we do when we disagree? What happens when you disagree with a decision the elders have made? We're going to leave aside tonight what happens when there's sin in an elder's life 
but we'll touch on that in a few weeks. But inevitably, inevitably, there will be times for all of us when our elders make decisions that we don't agree with. Your response will go a long way toward either promoting unity or fostering dissent. So what do you do? Well, there is a chart in your bulletin, or I guess it's not a bulletin, your handout. And if you notice on the left-hand side, as you go from bottom up, the clarity increases with the issue. As you go from left to right, the seriousness of the issue increases. The first thing, when something is clear but not serious. Now, if John or Rusty wants to paint the outside of the building purple, it's clearly not a good idea, at least in this culture. It might be okay in some cultures. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Well, I I know in uh, Bermuda, I was in Bermuda years ago, and everything is pastel colors, and white and pastel colors. It's beautiful. But in our culture... A purple church building might not, might, you might see that as clearly not a good idea, but it's not a serious issue. It's not a doctrinal issue. It's not an issue of sin, isn't it? And apart from things like that, if it comes to biblical issues, if it's something that's clear in Scripture, the more clear it is, the more serious it becomes. So you can't even fit that in here, can you? So let's move to the next one. Neither serious nor clear. So the elders decide that we're going to get a Canon photocopier, and you guys wanted Hewlett-Packard. It's that kind of a thing, where you have a disagreement on what's the best photocopier to buy. It's neither clear, right or wrong, and it's not even serious. There's no consequences to it, really. Nothing, Nothing of any serious nature, right? So... It's certainly fine to make suggestions when it comes to things like this. You might know of a deal. There's no problem in making suggestions. But if the elders choose to make a decision that's against your suggestion, when it's not clear nor serious, you need to support the decision of the elders. Church unity is far more important than preference and opinions in these kind of matters. That was pretty easy, right? But what about something that's serious and not clear, like purchasing a large plot of land, property? That could have serious consequences. It's not necessarily clear biblically. Um, Maybe the elders are wanting to put in an elder candidate and you don't have a, you know, it's not like there's a sin or an issue like that, but maybe you don't have a good feeling about it. Let's, let's put it that, like that. Something that maybe is serious in one respect, but not clear. In these situations, the congregation should listen carefully to the elders and give them the benefit of the doubt. 
This is why God has placed them over us. And remember, when we're talking about the elder candidate, we're not talking about that there's some apparent sin in their life. That's not the issue here. It's more personality and just, you know, little, little things. So what do we do when we disagree? This doesn't mean when the elders make a decision that somebody in the church doesn't agree with, it doesn't mean it's not hard to accept it. So how do we disagree in a godly way about things where the answer is far from clear? The implications for us as a church maybe could be serious. All right? This is where elders serve the church the most. What can we do to facilitate, facilitate the work of the elders in this category? Here's a few suggestions. You should always bring information to the elders. You play an important role in bringing information to the elders. You've got to remember, elder, even in our case where we have three elders, we're not aware of, we cannot be aware of everything. Sometimes the congregation or a person in the congregation has information that we're not aware of. So it might actually help us in a decision if we have that information. As a church, no church member should speak publicly against an elder or a deacon's nomination unless they speak to the elder first. The reason for this is not so the elders can control everything. It's simply that there's reason for you to be... Let me read that again. It's it's simply that if there's reason for you to be against the person's nomination, it might well be good for the elder to reconsider their decision. So you should take information to the elders. No, it's not slander. It's concern. And you honestly, I think our policy here is you go to the candidate and you talk to them before you even take it to the elders, which is biblical. And so if somebody's been put forward for nomination as an elder or deacon, you, there's a period of time, because I went through that a couple years ago, uh, there's a period of time that's given in order for you to talk to any concerns or question that candidate. You know, it, it doesn't make sense for the, you know, the existing elders to have the full authority in putting someone into place without knowing the concerns. I mean, the, when you get into these kind of decisions, the whole church has to be involved to some degree. I mean, in a sense, I guess the final decision lies with the elders, but I think at Cornerstone, the way we do it, it's, we, we do a, a uh, I don't like the word vote, but we vote. We Affirmation, yeah. I'm just picky with my words. But, um, okay, I think that's right. I forgot, I forgot that we made that change. But when you take information... And then the elders still, and they're still going to bring it before the congregation. I mean, you can still quietly vote against it. You have that right to do that. Uh, 
but there's a point that you need to support that decision. Okay? Especially if they listen to you and they take into consideration your concerns and they address your concerns. When you disagree, give yourself opportunity to be persuaded by their reasoning. And I've already alluded to this. Listen to them. Listen to what they're saying and why they're promoting that particular candidate. Elders should be and are almost always willing and eager to listen and to interact with you. They see their spiritual care of the congregation as the highest duty in the church. Their biggest responsibility in a sense. So give yourself full opportunity to be persuaded by them and approach the matter with a teachable spirit. We should all be willing to learn from one another, even the elders. We should have listening ears. We should learn and have godly attitudes in how we deal with disagreements. We're going to have disagreements. We would not be human if we did not have disagreements and then if you still disagree trust in God that he's working through the elders for the members good in the final analysis when everything is done trust the elders every Christian is not going to agree all the time it's just not going to happen I mean, you guys can be wrong. No. <laughs> I, you would not believe how many times, especially looking back as a young pastor years ago, how many times I don't even agree with myself. We grow. We change. Our understanding changes. And hopefully we're becoming more biblical. Hopefully becoming wiser in our decisions when it's not a biblical issue. Uh, that's what we want to think, and and that's what should be happening. There should be growth, because spiritual growth affects other kind of growth. And so, um, you know, these are very important considerations. But eventually, you need to trust them. This is really where, again, the rubber meets the road regarding following Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, right? It's one thing to obey and submit to your elders when you're enthusiastic about the decision that they're making. It's another thing to submit to them when there's a disagreement. And again, we're not talking about doctrinal things. We're not talking about sin issues. We're talking about, you know, just administration of the church or even, in some cases, it could involve an elder or a deacon candidate. We, in the second case, that doesn't sound right. Well, let's put it like this. Ultimately, we're submitting because we're acting in faith. By faith, we trust Christ himself to rule over us by his word and his spirit through our leaders. I'm going to read that again. By faith, we trust Christ himself to rule over us by his word and spirit and through his leaders. It comes down to trusting God. This is the church that God has established. 
He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And God's means of shepherding his church is through under shepherds, is through pastors, imperfect men, godly men, or they don't meet the qualification. That's their habit of life. But they're imperfect. And they don't always make perfect decisions. On this point, let me just say this. What do elders do when they disagree with one another? Well, eventually, if it's a decision that has to be made, we go with the majority of the elders. But I really believe elders should always seek uh, unity in every decision, even if it requires delaying the decision and praying about it until they found unity. Our elders, and I know our elders, those three of us, we are doing our best to model submission to the congregation. And that's why it's so important that we are doing what we're asking you and showing you what the Bible says. It has to begin with the model of the elders where we eventually submit to one another. And in, when it comes to these kind of issues, be careful in conversation with others. We've already implied this. We've already spoken to it to a point. Uh, do not uh, lobby support for your opinion and try to get other people on your side. That is always sin. The Word of God is totally clear. Um, if you derive the elders' decisions in your conversation with others, you actually risk making it more difficult for other people to trust their elders. And, I mean, if that's your motive, then that may be what you do. But that should not be your motive. For issues in this category of serious but unclear... Our unity as a church will bring greater glory to Christ than making optimal decisions. We all want to make optical, optimal decisions. I can't talk tonight. But unity, when it, I mean, because we're not talking about things that are extremely serious like doctrine or sin in the church that's not being dealt with. So... We must unify when it comes to things that are not of utmost seriousness. Now, what about when things are serious and clear? Issues of discipline and doctrine. Time for the church to act. This is where the congregation becomes the final backstop against poor decisions by the elders. And we see this biblically. It is on these issues of discipline and doctrine where the apostles appeal to the New Testament uh, for the church to act. Appeal in the New Testament for the church to act. Would the church at Corinth continue to accept in its fellowship a man in serious sin? Remember that in 1 Corinthians? 
Would the church at Galatia add to the requirements of the gospel? This is where the congregation has responsibility and authority. It's at this point the reputation of Christ will be better served by our sticking to the right answer than through visible unity. This is where sometimes you will not find unity, but you cannot forsake biblical doctrine and you cannot put a stamp of approval or accept open, gross sin in the church. That's not biblically dealt with. We're not talking about uh, being harsh to people. We're talking about the attempt to reconcile them into fellowship biblically, no matter what sin that has taken place. But even here, this is where questions abound. How would this action take place? And how can we fulfill our biblical role as a congregation while caring tenderly for the reputation of Christ in our midst and the souls of those in whom we disagree? So, in other words, how does the congregation do this in a God-honoring way? Well, first, a church is not a place for secret campaigning or canvassing. And I've seen this happen. Not so much in any place that I've pastored, but I've seen it happen in other churches, and it's sad. If a member of the congregation feels the elders are crossing a line of discipline or doctrine, he or she should he or she should be clear with the elders what they're doing. Don't don't beat around the bush. Tell them. Show them why this is wrong. Take the elders to the Word of God. That's your responsibility. And don't participate in secret campaigning. Again, go right to them. Seek godly counsel. If the elders are, are advocating a clearly unbiblical position, this is where we seek godly counsel from godly leaders. In some cases, we have to go outside of our church. Not in every case, but in a lot of cases, that's the only option. The congregation is the final authority on matters of discipline and doctrine. But that does not mean they should not seek godly counsel in making their decision. And then the third thing here, protect the reputation of Christ in his church. Sometimes you read a story in the paper that church members have contacted outside media about a disagreement in the church. I mean, and now we're to the point of talking about serious and clear disagreements. But even in that case, don't run to the media because you get so angry with what's happening in the church. A lot of times people do this to rally support for their cause, to place pressure on their opponents. That's appalling. That's worldly, isn't it? It's not, it's not of the Lord. The Apostle Paul basically lamb-blasted the church at Corinth for taking disagreements between church members to the civil, civil court, didn't he? 
Imagine how we would have, excuse me, imagine how he would have reacted at the trumpeting of disagreements of an entire church to the world at large. More importantly, though, think about how God views such tactics. The reputation of Christ must be paramount in our minds. We must take no action, speak no word, regardless of the circumstances that would ever defame Christ's name in the eyes of the world around us. Even more than unity in the church, Christ is to be our joy and our treasure. As we look at this last category of disagreement, I pray that our church will never walk this difficult road. But should that day come, let's take hope in the amazing way that he preserves us as a body through different time. And I'll mention that this coming Sunday, but how God has worked in our church even through a year that many people would consider difficult. And God has blessed us as a church. We've certainly grown spiritually through it all. We've been very blessed. We can rejoice that God uses His church even when it seems like the world around us is starting to fall apart a little bit. God blesses His church. But it just points us to the fact of how we need to be faithful. And we trust God. God's the one that established the government in the church. A bunch of men a couple thousand years ago didn't sit down and figure this out. This is the word of God. And the writer of Hebrews, it's in other places in the New Testament as well. Obey, submit. The only time that that's not the ultimate end is when there are there is false doctrine being teached, especially in relation to the gospel, or where there is sin, serious sin, that's not being dealt with. Then it falls back to the congregation. But when that happens, there's a way to do it. It must be done in a way that honors Christ and loves God's people. You're not confronting people even about sin because we hate them, because we're angry with them. It's because we love them that we confront them about sin and false doctrine. It's because we love the Lord ultimately that we do those things. Amen? Sort of hard material to go through. We've been very blessed here, but... uh, God's at work, and I'm so thankful that even the, all the things that we've gone through this last year, um, man, I can see God's hand in it. Even when people disagreed with the elders. Remember, sometimes I disagree with myself, so maybe that helps. Any questions tonight? Speak loudly. Till I can get some hearing aids. <laughs> uh, maybe just 
Oh, cool. It'll be an easy way to, to look it up. And then the second thing will be to continue to, yes, to continue to pray for the leader and of the church because we do um, come together to try to see how we can serve the church better and pray about what is the next thing that we feel like God wants cornerstone from here through the next sermon series, through the next uh, Thursday night lessons. What, what do we feel that we need to come together and walk through spiritually in a journey That's very helpful, John. And um, we met last night. We had an elders meeting last night for a couple of hours here. And uh, we were talking about those very things. I want you to know, at Cornerstone, we take the church very seriously. We are the body of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. We are God's household. And the church... In a sense, I mean, we are grafted into the blessings of Abraham, so we are the apple of God's eye, both Jew and Gentile, into one body, the church of Jesus Christ. If the church is that precious to God, as believers and especially as elders, we better take it seriously. So we take the teaching serious here. We take every aspect of ministry, but also understand we are developing it. We are growing. You know, we've been through, uh, we've been co- through COVID and uh, building projects and hiccups here and there, but we're actually really beginning to see progress. And so we're growing, even as elders, in, 
in uh, leading the church and making decisions. And uh, we do want to hear from you guys, by the way. We want to hear, if you're a visitor and you have a suggestion, I don't have a problem. We're obviously going to, you know, I don't want to say we'll take our members more seriously, uh, but we will listen to anybody who has godly advice. We will, we will listen to you. Uh, but um, for the, please pray for us. Pray for our, your elders here at Cornerstone.